There are several lessons we can learn from the life of Abraham as we journey by faith into God's promises. This message highlights some of the important lessons. In our journey of faith, we must remember that we are a people in covenant with God, and God is completely committed to us. He will not fail on his side of the covenant. Just hold your Bible high up in the air. And let's say this out loud, bold and strong together. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am what God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God. A servant of Christ and a channel of his blessing to many people. I receive his word. I believe his word and I live by his word. Christ is my master and to him I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Are you happy to be alive? Are you sad that you're alive? (laughs) Thank God for life. Thank God we can live and do something meaningful in the earth. Amen? When you stop doing anything meaningful, you might as well go home. (laughs) Just go home, be with the Lord. But as long as we're here, we're here for a purpose. We have meaning. We are here with a reason. And uh, the word of the Lord for us this year is that this year will be a year of resurrected dreams. It means that things that God has put in your hearts in the past, uh, though you may have given up on it and and, 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 uh, let go of it for whatever reason, uh, we believe that this year God is here to resurrect those dreams, bring those dreams back to life and help you and me walk in those dreams and see those dreams fulfilled. And we said that like Abraham, we must journey by faith into seeing these dreams Fulfilled. Journey by faith. Amen. So we began last Sunday in looking at the life of this man called Abraham. And last Sunday we focused on the first part of his life on answering the call. Uh, How did Abraham answer the call? When we say call we simply mean an an invitation. Uh, But call we simply mean an invitation. Come. God is inviting us saying Come with me on this journey. I'm going to take you somewhere. I'm going to do something uh, in your life and through your life and for your life. So God presents a call to all of us, to each of us. And from Abraham's life, we try to learn how he journeyed with God. How did he answer this call? This morning, we want to talk about the second part, the second stage of his life, which was journeying into the promise. You know, so Abraham was about 75 years old and God shows up and says, okay, you're going to have a son. Uh, By this time, you know, Sarah is barren, has been barren. They have no children, pretty old, but God is giving a promise. Uh, We know from Abraham's life, he was 100 years old when Isaac was born. 25 years later, he actually had Isaac, uh, Abraham and Sarah had Isaac. Abraham... Uh, went on to live to about 175. Uh, when Isaac was 60, 
uh, Isaac and Rebekah had their twin boys, Jacob and Esau. And uh, Abraham lived for another 15 years. So Abraham, his son Isaac, and then the grandchildren, Jacob and Esau, lived in the land of promise. So God fulfilled that promise. But that journey was not easy. He had his ups and downs. And so this morning, we want to look into that second part of his life, his journey into the promise. What can we learn from there? What lessons can we draw? And if you just look at the map here, just for us to have a mental picture of what actually happened, Abraham starts off in the Ur of Chaldees, which is in modern-day Iraq. He, stands, he starts off there. He goes all the way up to Haran. Haran is on the tip of Turkey, so hopefully we'll be there someday. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, it's right there on the border of Turkey and Syria. He goes all the way up there. And, from, and it, it's in Haran that God says, now you need to leave everything behind. Leave your family, leave everything behind. And from there he makes his journey into Canaan or Israel, which is part of Israel. Uh, he makes his journey into that land of promise and he spends the rest of his life uh, in, in journey, moving around in Israel, in, in, in Canaan, in the land of Canaan, where you can see Jerusalem, Bethel, and Shechem. Uh, that part. So that's kind of the, the, the journey Abraham made to come into the land of promise. But in this journey, several things happen. And we want to highlight some things and uh, try to learn those lessons for ourselves uh, as we make our journey into God's promises for our lives. God has a promise for each one of you. He's a purpose for each one of you. He's put dreams inside you. He's put destiny inside you. And you and I should make sure we do not fall short of God's dream and destiny. It may take a while, but we must get there. Amen? We're going to learn some lessons. The first thing we see in Abraham's life was no matter where he went, as he made this journey, there's one thing hap happening all the time. We see that Abraham, he established his altar of worship to maintain his relationship with God. So wherever he goes from place to place to place, when he reaches there, he pitches his tent and there he establishes an altar to worship God, to commune with God, to, let, to, to, to establish the fact that God is still central in his life. Look at some scriptures here in Genesis 12, verses 7 and 8. And I'm just quickly going to uh, read these verses. It says, The Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Verse 8. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Further down uh, in chapter 13, verse 3 and 4, it says he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where, he, where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And he called on the name of the Lord. Again in verse 18 of Genesis 13, he moves his tent. Um, he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre in Hebron and he builds an altar there. And he continued on in chapter 15 and chapter 21. You, you keep seeing Abraham everywhere he goes. He establishes an altar. What is the altar? It's his place of communing with God. It's a place of encounter. When he's discouraged, God speaks to him and says, Abraham, don't give up. It's his place where his vision is renewed and refreshed. And the promise is, is, is renewed or revived in his heart over and over again. So here's a lesson for you and me. As we journey with God, we must Establish our altar with God. 
When I say altar, I'm not saying, you know, a, a physical place. I'm, taking, I'm talking about a place where you and I constantly commune with God. And I'm not just talking about coming to church on Sunday. Because you can sleep through the whole service and nobody know about it. So it's not a matter of, you know, okay, I showed up on Sunday in church. I mean, that's important because we learn together, we grow together, we worship God together, we do things together. That's important. I'm not belittling that. But what I'm saying is it's your personal encounter with God. Is that happening as you're making this journey? That's so important. Because it's that altar, that place of encounter with God that you and I are renewed, refreshed. And we all need that. Otherwise, we could get discouraged. We could just give up. We could get distracted. Or we, so many things can happen. But when we maintain that place of communion with God, whatever it takes in your life, whatever it takes for you to be in that place of communion with God, you will make sure that God can lead you forward into that promise he has for your life. Are you with me? The second thing we see in Abraham's life as he made this journey is that he kept strife out of his life. Even if he had to be disadvantaged. It is interesting that as he left Haran and, and God told him, leave everything behind, go. When he left Haran, his nephew went with him, Lot. And his, Lot, his nephew Lot had lots of servants and his, his own set of possessions and everything. So he went along with Abraham. But a time came when strife started happening between Abraham's servants and Lot's servants. They started fighting, quarreling. And I'm sure that news would go up to, you know, the Abraham. Like Abraham would wake up in the morning and say, oh, not again, man. What are you guys up to? You know, can't live peacefully with each other. And again, again, he had to keep, you know, trying to make peace among these people. But finally, it came to a stage where Abraham realized having strife, in the house, so to speak, or in, in that family there, was not good for anybody. So what does he do? He tells Lot, Lot, you look around. You pick any land that you want. If you go east, I'll go west. If you go north, I go south. I'll go the opposite direction. You take whatever you want. And Lot looked on the plains of Jordan it was well watered, the Bible says, like the garden of God. Very, very fertile lands. There were the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in that, land, in that area. So Lot chose to go there to the plains of Jordan, to the city of Sodom. And Abraham went the opposite direction. Now here's what I want us to see. That he gave Lot the choice, saying, go, whatever you want. His intent was, I want to keep strife out of my, I don't want this. Strife opens the door to all kinds of evil things. The Bible tells us in James 3, it says, For envy, for where envy and selfish ambition, strife, coming out of that is, there is every manner of evil work. So when we, Permit strife to go on in our life. What we are actually doing is. We are giving the devil an open door saying. Please come in do whatever you want. Mess up my life. 
That's what strife does. And so you and I must determine we're going to keep strife out of our. Don't want anything with this. Even if I'm going to be disadvantaged, it's okay. That's what Abraham said. Lord, you take. Okay, fine. You're taking the better place. It's okay. I want to keep this out. And notice the other thing. Is that he did not let his heart get offended. What we will see later on in, 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 in chapter 14 is that once Lot picks up the best land and he chooses to go there into the plain of Jordan, he gets into trouble and Abraham goes to help him. And he's not like, man, you took the better part. Monday I'll show you. <laughs> he's not like that. So sometimes we keep, we let, we keep strife out but we let our hearts get offended. We carry resentment inside. So, what I want to tell, uh, present to us here is, not only should we keep strife out of our life, but keep your heart free from offense. Both are important. Because offense hurts you. Hebrews 12 says that if we have bitterness in our hearts, that bitterness grows up and it troubles us. Bitterness troubles me. Hurts me. So, keep strife out of your life and keep your heart free from offense. Don't carry offense in your heart. Just let it go. So put your right hand up. Say this with me. I will keep strife out of my life and my heart free from offense. So as you and I make this journey, let's make it a point. Keep strife out. Wherever you see strife happening, whether it's in your family, in your place of work, your friends, your extended family. If you see that, no, look, I don't want to fight with anybody. You take what, it is, what is better for you. Let's live in peace. Keep strife out. Keep your heart free from offense. Don't let it get offended. Choose to love. Choose to uh, forgive. Keep it free from offense. And you and I will be able to make this journey that God has for us. The third thing we see in Abraham's life is that he honored God. So there would be no question as to who blessed his life. So when you come into the 14th chapter of Genesis, here's what we find in Abraham's life, um, in his journey. There was a time when after Lord had you know, parted ways and he'd gone and settled in, in, in the city of Sodom, um, there were some tribal kings fighting with each other. There were five kings uh, who came together. There were four other kings came together. They got into battle. They were fighting. And these four kings overpowered them and they captured Sodom, the city of Sodom. They looted that city and in the process they also took Lot and all his possessions, his goods, and they took it away. And now Abraham heard about this. And he said, good, that, you know, good thing happened. No, he didn't say that. When he heard about this, he went out to rescue Lot, his nephew. He went out to go help him. So he went, he, he, he took his men. He had about 300, 300 odd men with him. They went out into battle. They fought. They, they rescued Lot. They gained all the possessions back. And they got more because they conquered those kings. So Abraham comes back on his journey. They're in, 14, uh, in Genesis 14, 18 through 20. What happens is another king, King Melchizedek, not our Melchizedek, <laughs> but this is the king of King Melchizedek, king of Salem, the city of Salem, which later came to be called Jerusalem. Um, 
King Melchizedek comes out and meets him. Now, King Melchizedek was an interesting person because not only was he king, but he was also a priest of God. And he comes and meets Abraham and he brings bread and wine. Bread and wine represent communion, represent covenant. He brings that to him, Abraham. Abraham, recognizing who he is, that he's a priest of God, gives him a tenth of all, all that he um, got out of the battle, the, the gain that he had. He gives him a tenth of that to Melchizedek. Now, in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 7, the writer of Hebrews expounds on that, saying Melchizedek is a type or a picture or a figure of Christ. He quotes from Psalm 110, where, where the, the, the psalmist prophesying about Jesus says, you will be a priest after the order of Melchizedek, meaning you're eternal. There is no beginning, no ending. The point I wanted to just highlight here is that Abraham gave a tithe, a tenth of what he gained to Melchizedek, a priest of God. He honored God. I'm giving a tithe. I'm honoring God with this. And right after that, the king of Sodom comes and he meets Abraham and he says, Abraham, you know, you fought this battle. You won this battle. uh, So you can keep all my goods. Just keep it. And Abraham makes this amazing statement. The Bible says, Abraham told the king of Sodom, he said, I have lifted up my hand, raised my hand, verse 22, I've raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, meaning I've made a promise to God. I will not take anything that is yours, lest anyone should say, I have made Abraham rich. I'm not going to take what's yours, because I don't want any man to say, I have made Abraham now, what can you, if you meet a man like this, what would you say? Wow, he's a man who really honors God. He gave a tithe of what he gained. He gave a tithe of it to the priest of God. And then when somebody else is offering him and saying, you know, you actually fought, you actually want you take or take it. He says, no, I will not take it. What's yours is yours. Take it back. Because I don't want anybody to say, I have made Abraham rich. He took a stand to show that his blessing came from God and God alone. He honored God to that extent. You know, some of us would say, God, look, if you can't bless me, if you don't bless me, don't worry, I'll figure this out myself. (laughs) I'll take care of me. I'll, I'll do this. Not with Abraham. He honored God. So that there was no question as to who blessed his life. Later on, several chapters later in chapter 24, verse 1. The Bible records. And the Lord has had blessed Abraham in all things. See, God blessed him even more. And then later on, his servant in verse 34, 35. His servant Eliezer is speaking. He says, I am Abraham's servant. So his servant is saying. The Lord has blessed my master greatly. The Lord has blessed my master greatly. Even a servant is giving testimony that God has blessed my master. So in our journey of faith into God's promises, here's something we can learn from Abraham's life. Can we honor God in our life, in our everyday life, to such an extent that people will say, you know, only God who's blessed him or her. Can we do that? That's the kind of life Abraham lived. 
he honored god even a servant said the lord has blessed my master greatly in your place of work would you honor god to such an extent that you know down the line people will say man i saw that guy i saw how he worked he was right in his work he was uncompromising in the way he worked and man if only god blessed him his god blessed he honored god to that extent so in our journey of faith we must honor god so that it becomes evident that there can be no question as to who has blessed our lives the fourth thing we see in abraham's life is this as he journeyed as he made his journey in the promise of god he made mistakes but god still carried him through to see his promise fulfilled abraham made mistakes it wasn't like he lived a perfect life or that he didn't make any mistakes twice in his life first at the beginning of his journey as he came into egypt because of famine and so and a second time much later on in his life now you'd have thought man at least with time you'd have become a little wiser twice in his life he lied about his own wife he's probably afraid so two times once when he was coming into egypt the second time when he was meeting with king abimelech he told his wife sarai just tell them you're my sister you know some of us but man you don't <laughs> just tell them you're my sister because you know if they find out you're my wife then they will kill me in order to have you right so just tell them you're my sister so at least they'll spare me even if they take you now that was abram cowardly in his heart it tells us something about god that god works with us and through us in spite of how flawed we are that god would take this man and make him the father of faith he didn't have a perfect life he had several moments of doubts he was wondering so you read about this in the 16th chapter in genesis when um, you know it was 10 years later after god appeared so Abram was 85 years now and he's wondering still haven't got a son got a child and so he's trying to figure this out and uh, his wife Sarai comes up with a good idea she says you know maybe you know you know maybe somebody who's born in a house is an heir so maybe you know why don't you just go ahead and have a child through my maid Hagar and maybe that's what god meant that anybody born in our house is part of our family and abram does that he births ishmael through hagar 86 years of age uh, ishmael is born and then sarah and hagar don't get along and so then they dismiss hagar and ishmael out of their home but he did that he made that mistake and paul the apostle in galatians chapter 4 as he writes about that incident in galatians 4:23 and 29 he says this he says in verse 23 but he who was of the bond woman that's a maid servant was born according to the flesh and he of the free woman through promise verse 29 but as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit even so it is now so he says this thing the same thing continues what is born of the flesh will always hinder what god wants to birth of his spirit 
So we have to be careful in our, as we journey into our promise. Yes, we will make mistakes. And the good news is God is bigger than our mistakes. He can get us back. But we have to be careful not to birth something out of our own flesh, our own self. Because what is birth out of self hinders what God wants to birth by his spirit through you, through your life. Are you with me? So we got to be careful, right? And Abraham made that mistake. God was gracious. God, God took him through. But he had to live with the consequence of that particular mistake in the sense that there's always this hindrance of what was born of the flesh. So we have to be careful in our journey of faith. So we must be careful not to attempt to fulfill the promise by our flesh. For what we birth of the flesh will only hinder what God desires to birth of the spirit. Number five. What else do we see in Abraham's journey? Two more things. Number five. God reassured him of the promise in his moments of weakness. This is the beautiful thing about God. That in different ways he will step into our lives and reassure us of his promise to us. And that's what we see in Abraham's life. God steps in and reassures him. Abraham very often wonders, God, is this really going to happen? I mean, God, time's running out, you know. It's 10 years since you gave me this promise. God, it's 15 years since you gave me this promise. God, it's 20 years, 25, God. Is it still going to happen? 25 years later, after the promise, you know, he still laughed. He still laughed at God. God, now it's getting really, it's going to, it's going to be a big joke, God. Sarai also laughed. And the funny thing is, she told God, I didn't laugh. <laughs> As the God won't know. <laughs> hey, you can lie to man, but you're lying to God. He's like, God, I don't know, I didn't laugh. After the promise, they're still struggling. But the beautiful thing about God is he keeps coming back and giving them reassurance. In spite of all their wondering and going on in their minds, it keeps reassuring, keeps reassuring, keeps reassuring. And the same thing God does for you and me in our journey. Sometimes you're reading the Bible and a verse comes up. Oh, this encourages you, reassures you. Sometimes somebody comes to you, they encourage you, they give you a promise, so they speak something into your life. Or uh, in so many different ways that God comes into our lives to reassure us that what he has planned for us will come to pass. And God did that for Abraham. But in doing that reassuring, God took his promise to a new level. And that's what I want to just talk about briefly. God sealed his promise with a covenant. So you read about this in the 15th chapter of Genesis. In chapter 15, Abraham is really wondering. And now he's having a conversation with God. And he's saying, God, uh, I don't know if what you really meant was uh, that, uh, you know, somebody born in my house would be an heir. Uh, you know, maybe you didn't mean that, you didn't really mean that I'm going to have a son. Maybe what you really meant was somebody born in my house. So he's having the conversation. He's still in doubt. This is about 10 years after the promise. What does God do? God says, Abraham, this is in the evening. He comes, it says, Abraham, come out. Look at the sky. 
Can he count all the stars? No. Abraham, that's how many your descendants are going to be. And I'm going to do this so somebody who comes out of your, you and Sarah, out of you both, I'm going to do this. And in order to confirm this promise that I'm making with you, I'm going to do something. And he puts Abraham to, uh, he tells Abraham something, we'll come back to that. But let's talk about what we do in our day. Suppose two people are in some sort of a discussion, an agreement, a, a contract. So whether it's a business contract or you take a home for a lease agreement or just anything that's, that you transact, uh, which you want to legally establish what we do today in our world is that the two parties put everything down in a document, which we would call a contract. And at the end of the contract, both the parties will sign. You sign off on that contract. So now it's a legal document. You can go to court with it. The law of the land will back that up. Now in Abraham's time, in those days, they didn't sign a contract, but what they did was they cut a covenant. They cut a covenant. They established an agreement through the cutting of a blood covenant. It was way far more serious than a contract that we sign in these days. So basically, picture this. If Abraham wanted to transact with another man, anything. Let's say Abraham said, you know, I will sell you 100 cows and 20 goats. And that man said, okay, I'll sell you four horses and uh, you know, something else in exchange. They had that discussion. They had the agreement. Before they actually go ahead and get all, assemble all the things on the appointed day to uh, exchange the, uh, their animals, which they promised to, they would seal that discussion with a covenant. What they would do is both the men, so Abraham, let's assume Abraham is signing a contract with someone else. That both these men would agree that they would bring each would bring a certain number of animals and animals of birds. So Abraham would bring, let's say, they would agree to bring, let's, a goat and a bird. So both would bring a goat and a bird. What they would do is both would cut the goat right across the middle. Abraham would lay his half on one side. The other man would lay the corresponding half of the goat on the other side of the line. And if they had two or three other animals, they would do the same. The goat, uh, the bird, they wouldn't cut into two, but they would kill and leave it on either side. Then Abraham would stand on one end of the line and the man would stand on the other end of the line. Abraham would hold a torch and he would walk through the middle of the, the animals that were cut, proclaiming his part of the agreement, his promises. I promise to give 25 goats and 36 sheep, whatever. Then the man, the other man, and so Abraham goes across to the other side. Then the man from that side, carrying his torch, would walk through and declare his side of the agreement. I promise to give Abraham four horses and five, whatever. Once that is done, this covenant is so solid that the only way you can get out of it is by dying through death. Meaning, you will be held responsible to this covenant until to the point of death. It's a blood covenant. It's life for life. 
Today you can sign a contract, and even if you violate it, anyway, it takes 25 years in the court. <laughs> so you can go free. It really means nothing these days. But those days, that covenant was serious. It was a blood covenant. Your life was at stake if you backed out of it. Now here's what God does. He tells Abraham, I want you to get certain animals. And he gives him the list. So you bring a, a, a heifer, this, you know, gives him a list of these animals. You read about it in Genesis 15. And he says, I want you to cut it, lay it down. And then what God does is he puts Abraham to sleep. And Abraham is asleep, but now he's seeing the vision. And in the vision, God passes through the cut animals in a, in a smoke and fire. He passes through and he passes through and he does not have Abraham pass through. Meaning to say, Abraham, I am sealing my promise to you with a covenant and this covenant depends solely on me. You have nothing to do with it. I will establish this promise in your life. That's God's covenant. Nothing to do with Abraham. Abraham did not pass through the pieces. He was asleep. God and God alone went through as a pillar of smoke and fire through the pieces. And said, I am establishing this covenant with you. To the point of death, even if my life depends on it, I'll keep it. I'll do it. Later on in chapter 17, I just want to, God expands this covenant. And he says, Abraham, because I have a covenant with you, I want you to do two things. First, I want you to change your name. Stop calling yourself Abram and call yourself Abraham. Meaning, Abram means father. Abraham means father of a multitude. Change your wife Sarah's name. Change her name from Sarai to Sarah. Sarai means princely. Sarah means mother of princes. Start speaking. Start calling yourself based on who you are in this covenant that I have with you. Don't call yourself based on who you were. But speak now based on the covenant I have with you. Change your language. Speak. Based on your covenant. What is the promise? Speak that. And the second thing he tells Abraham is. As a sign that you have a covenant with me. I want you to circumcise all the male in your family from now on. It's a sign of my covenant. Now in the New Testament. Romans. Uh, when you come into the New Testament. Uh, in Romans chapter 2. And verse 29. Circumcision really is talking about a circumcision of the heart meaning a transformation of the heart you become a new creature in Christ so circumcision in the Old Testament refers to the new creation in your heart that you become in Christ so the point is this in our journey with God first remember you are in a covenant with God two because you're in covenant with God speak based on your covenant and know who you are in Christ because of your covenant. You're a new person in your heart. Live this life out of that. The third thing we see that God does as a part of this covenant. Later on in Genesis chapter. I'm getting ready to close here. So, In Genesis 17. Abraham is still in unbelief. You know God's all done all of this. And Abraham is still in unbelief. Uh, in Genesis 17, 20, 21. 
Abraham still talks to God. He says, God, you know, by this time he has had Ishmael. And he says, God, maybe, why don't you consider Ishmael? May Ishmael live before you. So Abraham is still struggling. May Ishmael live before you. And here's what God responds. God says, Ishmael, I will bless, but my covenant is with Isaac. There is a difference from blessing and covenant. Ishmael, I'll bless. I'm a good God. I'll bless him. But my covenant is with Isaac. Covenant includes blessing, but it is more than blessing. God's covenant is not just a mere contract for spiritual transaction. But it's really an invitation into fellowship. Into a place of intimacy with God. A relationship with God. Where everything is shared. All that he is, he gives to you. And he asks all of you for himself. God is saying is, that I can only do with people of covenant. I can bless anybody. He makes the sun to shine on everyone. He blesses everyone. But covenant is an invitation to a place of relationship. So what can we learn? As we make our journey into the promise of God, remember we are people of covenants. It's a covenant that God has made with us. He will not fail on his side of the promise. Amen? And as we journey, we have to live as people of covenant, meaning we, everything we do, the way we speak and from our heart and everything on is comes out of this covenant. We speak based on the promises God has given to us. We speak based on our covenant with God. This is what God has promised. So I talk like this. I, I live like this. I'm a new creation in Christ because I'm in a covenant with God. And understand that God's covenant is not just some transaction he's trying, we are trying to make with God. But it's really he's calling us to a place of intimate relationship. Come close to his heart. So it's more than the blessing. It's a place of relationship. The last thing we see in Abraham is this, that it ends well. Abraham goes through his ups and downs, but finally we see that he comes to a place of resolute faith in God. In the New Testament, looking back at his life, Paul writes in Romans 4, he says, in Romans 4, 17 to 21, he says, you know, Abraham, he staggered not to the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in faith. He gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that what God had promised was also able to perform. You know, he did not waver at the promise of God. So, you know, looking back, God says Abraham did, did really great. But when we look closely, we see he made mistakes. But the good thing about God is he looked at the end. Did you finish well? Yeah, you made mistakes, but that's all okay. Did you finish well? Did you hold on to your faith till the end? Did you come through? Did you see that promise fulfilled? That's what he's going to write about. That Abraham kept the faith. He walked through till the end. Amen? And I believe that as you and I journey with God, we will have our ups and downs. We'll have our moments of weaknesses, our questions, all of that. Abraham went through all. But as we keep our eyes on Jesus... He is the author and the finisher of our faith. 
He is the originator and the perfecter of our He'll do it. We'll have those questions Abraham did, but he's going to bring us through. He's going to bring us through. Amen? Next Sunday, we're going to talk about the last stage of Abraham's life, how God not only fulfilled the promise, which was great, but he took him beyond the promise. He took him to a greater level than just seeing a promise fulfilled. And that's what we want to close the series on. That God's not just interested in fulfilling a dream through us. He's doing something bigger than that. We'll talk about it next Sunday. As you're journeying into the promise of God. What has God spoken to your heart? What lessons can we take away from Abraham's life? He had an altar with God. Wherever he went, he kept his focus on God. Would you do that as you journey through various seasons of life? Abraham kept strife out of his life. And he God, he kept his heart free of offense. Would you do that? Abraham honored God so that it was unquestionable who blessed his life. Would you honor God in your life? Abraham made mistakes. But God saw him through. Even if you have made mistakes in your journey, don't give up. Don't give up. God's not done. You and I can always come back to God. Say, God, you know, I made a mistake. But I still want to follow you through to your promise. We see that God kept reassuring Abraham of his promise. And God will do that for you and me. Would you and I be sensitive enough to recognize that God's simply reminding us. He's reassuring us of his promise. And you say, thank you, God. That gives me strength to keep going forward. Thank you. And God is so great, is so good, that he can bring you and me to a place of resolute faith. He can bring us there. He will bring us there. This morning, would you take a few moments just to respond to what God is speaking to you. Dear Father, we just pray that As each one of us, Lord, just makes our journey into your promise, into your destiny, into your dream for our lives. That you will help us, Lord, to make that journey with that close communion with you. That we'll be sick, we'll be, Lord, just constantly on guard to keep strife and offense out. But we will honor you in all things. And that God, we would be able to go past our mistakes, knowing that you're the God who restores. And that God, that we would just draw encouragement from that constant reassurance, Lord, that you bring to us, that you are with us. That God, that each one of us will journey to that place of resolute faith in you. Like Abraham did. Empower each one here, Father. We pray that every dream, every destiny that you have in each of us will be fulfilled. 
will be fulfilled. We just thank you. We thank you, God. That nothing will rob us of that destiny. Nothing will rob us of the call of God. Of the purpose of God for our lives. Nothing will rob us of that. We thank you. We bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's close, please. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.